welcome to Crazy Biatch Asians. This is a podcast where we discuss the issues Asians can face in the Western world with a critical mind, a bit of healthy debate, and lots of tea. Hosted by Sydney-based digital marketer Sharon Jiang and journalist Juna Zhu. Hey, hey, hey. On today's episode, we're diving into a super controversial topic, cultural appropriation. What is it? What's acceptable? And what isn't? And how does it differ from cultural appreciation? Okay, Juna, I think I'm going slightly crazy in lockdown. Last week, we mentioned that YouTuber Li Ziqi, that Chinese girl who films her rural life in the mountains, and I kid you not, I have been binging her videos daily. I think I watch at least like five of her videos a day. Girl, you must be feeling zen AF. I am very proud of you for watching these videos, and I'm glad my CBA college fact is helping someone out. Yes, definitely. Have you been watching anything fun to pass the time, though? (sighs) Unfortunately, I can't even remember the last time I turned on the TV. I just don't think I've ever been busier in my whole entire life, which is a great thing to be complaining about in lockdown, though. So we're at a point in our potty where we'll be wrapping up this season of the podcast. And as a cultural podcast, we just couldn't ignore this glaring elephant in the room, cultural appropriation. Definitely. Cultural appropriation. They're two tiny words, but with a massive impact. So this is a controversial issue. Lots of people have lots of differing opinions and a lot of it is on a case-by-case basis. Of course, we'll give you guys the facts, but there definitely will be sections where it's our opinion. So we don't want everything that we've said to be taken for gospel. Look at it like a jumping point for further discussion. If you disagree with us, we totally welcome that. You guys can always Insta-DM us at Asians with your opinions and we can always chat further. Exactly. And we also want to say that there are many cultures around the world that experience cultural appropriation. The big ones in Western media are Black culture and Indigenous culture. However, we'll be focusing mainly on the appropriation of Asian culture as our podcast is an Asian one. We also want to point out that as East Asians, the bulk of our focus will be on East Asia. So if you're from another area, area of Asia, we're happy for you to DM us or email us your experiences as well. Exactly. And the final thing we want to point out is that because we are still in lockdown, and I believe this is week seven, we are still recording over Zoom. So the sound quality may not be as crisp as usual. Anyways, now that the disclaimers are out of the way, let's just dive into things. Oft. Where do we even start with this topic? I reckon let's begin at some definitions because that's always a good jumping point. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that there are a ton of scholarly articles on this topic, so we'll try to keep it easily understandable and digestible. So, cultural appropriation. According to an article on thoughtco.com by Nadra Karim Nittle, cultural appropriation is, quote, the adoption of certain elements from another culture without the consent of people who belong to that culture. Yeah, and while it sounds like quite a simple concept, the key to cultural appropriation is that it involves the, quote, exploitation and profiting of a culture's identity, traditions and elements, according to a non-profit think tank, Studio ATAO. 
The writers Chen, Huang, and Dorsey have added other important points to the definition, which is cultural appropriation is especially prevalent in, quote, cases where a dominant culture exploits aspects of a minority culture at the expense of the original culture for personal gain. So basically, these guys are putting an emphasis on a power imbalance when assessing cultural appropriation. And I want to throw a major intellectual into this conversation. And I'm not sure, Shaz, if you remember this guy from uni. I'm sure anyone doing an arts degree would have read his stuff. Edward Said, do you remember him? Oh, totally. That literally brings back memories of uni because I think we've read so many pieces from him. But what did he say specifically relating to cultural appropriation? In Orientalism 1978, he highlighted an oppressive relationship where the West has allowed themselves to speak for and about Orientals, which then shapes their future without consulting them. That's basically cultural appropriation. Yeah, totally. And you see this very often in discussions about appropriating black culture and indigenous culture. But as you mentioned with Edward Said, also with Asian culture, as Asians um, as a collective are also seen as a minority in Western countries. Another interesting point to consider is the impact of capitalism on cultural appropriation. So the writers at Studio ATAO said, Capitalism is a big contributor to cultural appropriation because in the pursuit of profit, many cultural traditions and objects are commercialized and stripped off its cultural context. I know we've just chucked a whole bunch of info at you guys, but to simplify it, think profit, exploitation and personal gain. Keywords here, keywords. Yes, keywords, because even my brain is a bit confused at the moment. <laughs> so you might be thinking, what sorts of things can be appropriated? Is it art? Is it certain aesthetic? So Susan Scafidi, a law professor at Fordham University, told Jezebel that cultural appropriation, quote, can include unauthorized use of another culture's dance, dress, music, language, folklore, cuisine, traditional medicine, religious symbols. So a wide range of things, but it's definitely more prevalent in the arts scene. Okay, going off of that, I have a question for you, Junes. On the top of your head, what kinds of Asian traditions have been culturally appropriated? Oh, okay. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking Asian martial arts costumes or the Asian traditional dress like the Chinese chi pao. Think cheap Halloween costumes. Absolutely. Like when you mentioned that, like the chi pao is appropriated so often. So for those who aren't familiar, a chi pao is a long body hugging dress of Manchu origin and it's traditionally made from silk with traditional embroidery. I also think the traditional Japanese geisha has been appropriated. Katy Perry looking at you for that one. Totally. She copped so much flack for that. And I just want to point out that one of the great joys of globalization and multicultural societies is that you get exposed to a plethora of different cultures and traditions, which is fantastic. Like, I love that for us. But just to stress it again, cultural appropriation doesn't have anything to do with appreciating Lunar New Year or eating dim sims or learning an Asian language to be able to communicate with your multicultural surroundings. 
To quote the Thought Co. article again, appropriation is often done along racial and ethnic lines with little understanding of the latter's history, experience and traditions. Totally. So if you're going to perpetuate fetishized stereotypes of that culture and you're doing it for profit or personal gain, then you're kind of in hot water. And I think cultural appropriation is a massive issue when it's deemed cool when the white kids do it. So there's a lot of rhetoric online about that and lots have been written about it. So it's the idea that it's frumpy and not trendy when an Asian wears their traditional dress, but suddenly when it's a dress-up party and the popular white people do it, it's suddenly the vibe. Like this is definitely reflected by the amount of celebrities who have donned a cheapow on stage and like bam it's such a vibe yeah exactly so Mia Mikado wrote for Bustle that cultural appropriation becomes harmful when quote a trend takes from a minority culture and deems that trend more societally acceptable when the majority culture adopts it so here's a question though if you're of a dominant group and you want to appreciate a certain minority culture When is it cultural appreciation and not appropriation? Where do you draw the line? Totally. And I feel like this is my favorite part of the episode because that that is such a great point. Cultural exchange and learning is such a beautiful thing. Honestly, it makes us more understanding and empathetic of each other's cultures. And for the record, we don't want to sit here and say white people or like non-Asians can't bloody participate in anything Asian. I mean, that just leads to more segregation and, you know, that's not great. So cultural appreciation, broadly speaking, according to greenheart.org, appreciation is, quote, When someone seeks to understand and learn about another culture in an effort to broaden their perspective and connect with others cross-culturally. Yeah, this Greenheart article is actually a great way to find out if you're appropriating or appreciating. And we'll link it in our show notes if you're interested in finding out more. So they emphasize looking at the context of things. So two things to ask yourself could be, what does a certain symbol mean to a particular culture? When and where is it appropriate to use it? Are you connecting to the roots of the piece or are you using it for profit or your own personal gain? So symbols could be the traditional dress, religious symbols, art, etc. So they also point out that learning about whatever you're going to appreciate beforehand is very important. So this involves listening to those who are a part of that community. Absolutely. And just to simplify it further, I'm going to use the Chinese qi pao as an example. And this line of thinking can be applied to many Asian symbols. So you can replace the qi pao with any other sort of traditional dress or symbols. So taking in all the definitions that we mentioned earlier, I think it's cultural appropriation if you wear a qi pao that doesn't follow the traditional style and has clearly been sexualized, e.g. if the length is super short and it shows a lot of skin and like boobage to a dress-up party that has nothing to do with Chinese culture. Like you randomly just felt like doing it for no particular reason. However, if it's Lunar New Year, which is the appropriate context to wear this garment, and you're going to a specific celebration with the community wearing a piece that follows the style, then I think that is totally, totally fine. And this is just one particular example. You can apply this to a lot of different things. 
Yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here. So mm-hmm. in 2018, a teenager in Utah wore a Chinese chi pao that she found in a vintage store to her prom. Lots of controversy over that. Is this cultural appropriation? Oh, yeah, this one is super tricky. And it's why we said at the beginning of the episode that so much of cultural appropriation is often judged on a case-by-case basis. Um, I'm kind of on the fence with this one. I think she wore it beautifully and not in a sexualized or inappropriate manner. For example, like if she put chopsticks in her hair and pulled the Asian eyes, then it is blatantly racist. And if it was like super slutty in inverted commas, then it's inappropriate. But I can also see both sides. Personally, I think she looked gorgeous and respectable, but I'm not sure if she took the time to learn about Chinese culture. So I can also understand those who say it is cultural appropriation. I want to get your thoughts though. What about you? Okay, I can definitely understand your views. And I'm also going to say that I find it quite beautiful that Westerners or non-Asians find Xi Pao's fashionable and honourable enough to wear it to what is seen as one of the most important days of a teenager's life, especially in the US. Also, Mm. can anyone find me a vintage Xi Pao? (laughs) This is a great segue into the next section, cultural appropriation, yes or no. So we're going to play a little game here, chuck some scenarios around and decide whether they are or aren't. And you guys can play along with us. So Shaz, do you want to go first? Okay, carrying on with the Chi Pao discussion, Little Mix collabed with the fashion brand, I'm sure many of you guys have heard of this fashion brand, Pretty Little Thing, on a collection that they called oriental oh no okay pretty little thing plus oriental plus little mix i'm scared (laughs) yeah basically it doesn't seem like the best equation for a respectable collection but anyways this collection basically took the chinese cheap out elements like the silk fabric with that you know that floral brocade embroidery and the mandarin collars but they made it super, super, super sexualized. There were super, super short skirts, slits that basically showed your undies, crop tops. Like I'm thinking, why the heck is there a crop top in this? And these weird over-the-knee boots in the silk brocade. Honestly, just, just Google it. We can link a picture in our show notes, but those boots were really something. What do you think? Yes or no? You know I really dislike revealing and slutty clothes of any sort in the first place. So I think you can guess what my answer is to this. (laughs) Capital Y, capital E, capital yes, exclamation mark. What about you? I definitely say yes, because it's definitely for profit. And also the styles are so atrocious. Sure, it is very sexualized, but also if I'm going to buy like a reworked sexy version of the Chi Pao, I would definitely go to a Chinese designer because they have some sort of a reference point to start with. So for example, I really do like Sao Li, who is a Hong Kong designer, and she has all these interesting modern takes of the Chi Pao. Okay, your next turn. Okay, white people learning how to cook Asian food. Thoughts? No. Definitely not cultural appropriation. You know, you're learning how to cook, you're appreciating cultures, you're appreciating other people's cuisines. I love that. Good for them. Love that for them. 
But here's the thing. If they become an influencer and they start gaslighting Asians whose cuisine is literally their cultural background and then profits from it, then yes, problematic. But if they're just cooking for fun, no, not at all. Mm, I love the fact that we can appreciate food from all over the world, but you know what I really dislike? When you go to a fancy Asian restaurant not run by an Asian and they have the audacity to charge anything more than $20 for a serving of like four or five dumplings. And they're not even great dumplings. They're just average dumplings. Totally. Oh my God. We talk about this so much in our free time. We go to these places in Chinatown that is literally $12 for 12 dumplings. Then you go to these very trendy, you know, Chinese restaurants and it's literally $20 for four. The audacity. (laughs) Okay. But also going off of this food point, I'm not sure if this is like full on cultural appropriation, but I just find it weird. There's this restaurant in Australia called China Diner, and I honestly have a bone to pick with them. So they were established by a white guy, and they basically serve Chinese food like dumplings and all that other stuff. At one point in time, they added sushi onto the menu, and I'm like, what the actual heck is this? You're going to call yourself China Diner and have the Chinese characters Ni Hao in your name, but then serve Japanese food? Are you aware of the history between these two countries? And honestly, they don't even market themselves as Asian fusion. I can understand if it's like, oh, we're a pan-Asian fusion restaurant, which in that case, I get the melding of two Asian cultures, but they are legit called China Diner. I love this point. I'm so glad you brought this up. And yes, plenty of restaurants exactly like that here, unfortunately. (laughs) Just, um you know, raises eyebrows everywhere. (laughs) Literally. And I have one literally right down the road from me and I have to walk past it when I go walk my dog. And it's like, I don't want to see this. (laughs) Okay. Next one. Katy Perry's geisha performance at the 2013 AMAs. Look, your best bet is to Google image this because it's a full on look. Basically, Katy Perry dressed up as a geisha. She wore a watercolor floral dress with her hair done up in a shimada style, very pale makeup with painted red lips, carrying an oil paper bamboo umbrella known in Japanese culture as a wagasa. I'm so sorry if I did not say those words correctly. I'm so sorry. But Juna, thoughts? Oh my God, this just gives me Scarlett Johansson vibe. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and just like Little Mix's situation, I would 100% classify this as cultural appropriation. Yeah, I would say definitely cultural appropriation. But also, I think the funny thing is, she didn't even do the look very well. Whoever her stylist is and whoever her costumer is, just needs to be fired because her geisha dress clearly wasn't fully Japanese and had like a very obvious Chinese influence. For example, her dress had a mandarin collar with frog buttons. Like That is not what geishas wear, to be honest. Who the heck is her costumer? Okay, last one. And there are so many things that we didn't tick off, but we had to just get this one in here at the last minute. Someone getting an Asian character tattoo. this one's like the most comical one I'm gonna say no on this um if it means something to you and it represents a memory or you like the look of the character 
go for gold. I don't think it's cultural appropriation. But the one thing I want to stress is just make sure the strokes are correct because there are so many funny incidents when someone wanted like peace, but the strokes were wrong. So it came out spelling poo or something. Just make sure the character is right. This is so hilarious. I love reading all the online forums about this. And you see people with like chicken soup and (laughs) love me and (laughs) shit. Exactly. (laughs) In general, I think any tattoo anyone gets should have significance behind it, especially if it's a word written in anything other than your dominant language. Absolutely. But would you say yes or no to this one being cultural appropriation? Nah. Yeah, we'll give it a pass. (laughs) Go for gold, just make sure it's correct. It's now time for CBA College. Don't worry, we won't keep you here for hours lecturing you about geometry and calculus. Instead, both of us will be sharing our most interesting fact of the week so you can actually walk away from this podcast having learnt something. So, Juna, do you want to go first? It's not gross this time. Not strange. It's actually (laughs) quite a good one. So, Bangkok has the longest place name in the whole entire world. So, the city's actual name is far different from its English name, Bangkok. So, its official name is, I'm going to butcher this to death, Trung Thep Mahanakon in Thai, but the city has a far longer ceremonial name. This name is listed in the Guinness World Records as the world's longest city name with a total of, actually, I'm going to ask you, how long do you think this word is? How many letters? I'm going to stab in the dark, 45 letters. (laughs) Um, Maybe like triple plus a bit more than that. (laughs) Are you serious? It is 168 letters. Oh, my God. How? That is insane. Although it's sufficient to use its official name in Thai, if you're able to pronounce this name, you'll be guaranteed to receive some damn respect from people because it is impressive. If you're planning a trip to Thailand, probably spend some time on the flight learning the official name and you are ready to wow people when you arrive. So... I don't even think I want to go ahead and pronounce this because I'm looking at it and it's just a jumble of letters to me. Oh, anyway, no, my God. let's pop this in our show notes, Shaz. <laughs> yes, definitely. And if anyone can pronounce this, send us a voice recording, please. Email it, DM us because we want to hear this, especially if you're Thai and you can actually say this. Yeah, it is very impressive. So the name is composed out of Pali and Sanskrit root words. If you read what it says and you want it translated to English, what it translates to is the city of angels, great city of immortals, magnificent city of the nine gems, seat of the king, city of royal palaces, home of the gods incarnate, erected by Visvakarman at Indra's behest. I love it. It's a royal city. That's what I'm getting from it. It is. So the English translation isn't any more easier to say. Definitely. I know you were reading it. I'm trying to like concentrate and like (laughs) listen to the words. And I'm like, what is this? I think I butchered the last part too. So please don't come at me. (laughs) Your interesting fact. Okay. Mine. Okay. Many of you guys probably have heard about this weird news, 
But I want to bring it back for some lighthearted lockdown entertainment. So we're bringing in some pop culture, some entertainment today. This poor guy from Russia became trapped on a Chinese reality TV show. So he begged for fans to vote him out, but they refused. And he remained on this Chinese show pretty much against his will for three months. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? Oh, my God. Okay, so I'll explain what this story is. So this 27-year-old guy called Vladislav Ivanov from Vladivostok was working on this show called Produce Camp 2021 as a translator. The show basically finds singers for an international boy band and obviously all the contestants have to sing. So the producers of this show saw how attractive he was and asked him to sign up as a contestant. And mind you, this is a Chinese reality TV show and everyone else on this show is Chinese. So he signed up but quickly regretted it and he couldn't leave on his own because it was a breach of contract and he would have to pay a fine. So you may have actually seen this guy because footage of him went viral online a couple of months ago. He seriously hated it and wanted to leave the show. And there's footage of him saying, don't love me, you'll get no results, or I hope the judges won't support me. While the others want to get an A, I want to get an F as it stands for freedom. (laughs) Oh my god! He was basically pleading the audience in every episode to vote him off, but the audience loved him because of his grumpy, like whatever kind of attitude. He would often turn to the camera, deadpan, and say, get me off this show, basically words to that effect. He made it through to the finals after being there for three months of competition and 10 episodes. (laughs) Oh my God. He finally got voted off in the final episode. So I'm sure he's very, very relieved. It's safe to say that I don't think he'll be applying for another show for a while. Definitely not. I don't even think he'll set foot in China after this. He's like, I was basically imprisoned on a reality TV show and I couldn't get out. Shaz, I'm glad we finally covered this topic and just a friendly reminder And to save you from disappointment or embarrassment later in life, just to triple check with a few people before tattooing your body with a Chinese or Japanese character. Yes, definitely check with one of your friends who may be Chinese or Japanese just to make sure that the characters say exactly what you want them to say. If you'd love to hear more from us, please subscribe to Crazy Biatch Asians on your favourite podcast app. And if you've got a sec, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so we can keep going. And if you like watching your podcast, you can find us on YouTube under the same name. If you want a daily dose of the best Asian memes, then just head to our Instagram at Asians. Finally, if you want to support us through monthly donations, head to our Patreon page and that's all linked in the show notes below. Please stay safe, everyone, and we'll chat in a fortnight. Bye. Mm-hmm.